night of September 6th, 2018, uh, Amber Geiger ended her 13 and a half hour shift as a Dallas police officer, and she went home. And when she got to her apartment building, she entered the wrong apartment. She found a door ajar that she thought was her own, and she went in, and in the apartment, sitting on the couch, was a man named Botham Jean, sometimes pronounced Botham Jean. Um, Botham Jean was sitting there, and she fatally shot him. Um, he was sitting alone on his couch eating ice cream when she entered and shot him, and the 26-year-old man um, was dead. Um, he was an accountant, and he was actively involved in his local church. He obviously had parents, and he had several siblings. So this was national news, um, and this was local. It was here in Dallas. Uh, the pain of the family was on public display. A mother and a father lost their son um, in an inexplicable way. I mean, I can't imagine just this is the news you hear out of nowhere. Several young people lost their brother. Then there was the societal uproar over a white police officer killing an unarmed black man, which added another complicated and infuriating dynamic to this situation for the, for the family. Um, and leading up to the trial, that family expressed anger. They expressed hatred, even for Geiger, um, in really strong words. We'll come back to this story but in stories like this, it's in the midst of that context that we're considering the Lord's Prayer. And in, this, in the Lord's Prayer, a request that God would forgive us our sins as we forgive those, the trespasses and sins of those who sin against us. When we wrong God, how can he ever forgive us? How, do, how could we ever be forgiven by God? And when we are wronged, how can we ever actually offer forgiveness to someone else? How does the family of someone like Botham John offer forgiveness to someone like Amber Geiger in that situation? How does that happen? Today we're going to discover how. That the forgiveness of our debt owed to God gives us what we need to then offer forgiveness to others. So first, what is forgiveness? When we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, we, we kind of have a lot of different ideas of forgiveness. And just like many truths in the Bible, there are multiple angles that we can look at this truth from. There are multiple metaphors or word images that the Bible gives us to talk about our salvation and talk about forgiveness, being purified, all these things. Today, I want to focus in on the imagery of a release from debt. A release from debt. Um. Financial debt can be debilitating, like I mentioned earlier. It can feel like a prison. And in this metaphor, when we sin against someone, we put ourselves in their debt. Theft is an obvious one, right, where you steal from someone. To get restitution, you owe them back what you stole, right? If you were to slander someone, you steal reputation and honor, right? And then when, to, when you were to make that right, you would have to actually renounce the bad thing you said about them publicly and then speak well of them publicly to make up for it. There's this repayment. Other examples could be given, but the point is that when we sin against God and when others sin against us, there actually a debt is incurred where our bank account is then in the negative, so to speak. This is one of the images and the metaphors that Scripture uses to talk about sin. In Matthew 18, we read Luke 18 today, but Matthew 18, uh, there's a parable that Jesus gives about this concept. So the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, imagine there's a king, okay? Imagine there's this king who has a servant, and this servant 
comes to him, or excuse me, the servant is working and the king comes to him to settle his accounts. The servant owes him money. And he comes and the servant owes uh, in this parable the, the equivalent of about 20 years wages. 20 years. It's like 10,000 talents is what, is what the, the currency is in their time. I did the math. Median, this is rough math. I, didn't, I went to seminary. I don't do numbers. Um, I've got little squigglies here. Uh, the, the median household income in Denton County from 2016 to 2020 was $90,000. We're in Denton County. This translates to roughly a $1.8 million debt for the average household in our context. Imagine if you owed someone $1.8 million right now for the average person. Maybe some of you in here are like, well, that would bleed me dry, but I could do it. Um, if, that, if that were me, I would be done. There's, there's, it is insurmountable. 20 years, 20 years of labor. You can't pay any of your other bills, any food, 20 years. This is the debt. What's the point? It's insurmountable. It's, it's for all practical purposes, unpayable. Out of reach. Unattainable. I am screwed. I'm done for. I can't pay this guy what he owes. So the king says, all right, since you can't pay, I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell, this is in the parable Jesus is telling, I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your wife, sell your children, sell all your possessions. Because at the time, if you had a debt you couldn't pay, you could go into slavery to pay it off. It was their version of bankruptcy, much worse. And um, I'll recoup whatever losses. I'll recoup, recoup whatever losses I can, and that'll be it. And the guy falls on his knees and says, please have mercy on me. And the king, he, he says, have mercy on me and give me more time to pay, as if that's going to, here's the deal. You don't need more time, man. You, you could have 100 years, and you're, you're a servant. You're never going to make it up. So what does the king do? The king is moved with pity, and he not only gives him more time, but he cancels his debt. He forgives him his debt. The parable goes on. The man is unable to actually forgive another servant a much smaller debt, and so then the king is very angry. We'll talk about that. It shows that he didn't actually receive the forgiveness. But when we hear this, you and I are supposed to then make the parallel and say, this is us. This is our condition before God, isn't it? We're in this debt. When we sin, we all have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. Our trespasses are offenses against the commands and the glory of God. They're offenses against God. And we owe God back repayment for robbing him of the praise and obedience that he deserves. We fall in love with this world and with our sin, and, and we give allegiance to other things when it's owed to God. We give allegiance to other things. And all that we, we've withheld from God actually belongs to him. And so we owe it back to him, but we could never repay it. We've taken out a loan that we can never repay. We've sunk ourselves into this insurmountable debt that would require our very lives for repayment and still wouldn't even make it up. So what does God do when he shows up? Well, we read today, when we humble ourselves and confess our debt and confess our sin, he doesn't just give us more time like some kind of purgatory where we have to pay it off. God, who is rich in mercy, cancels the debt of sin, forgives it. Imagine if you graduate from college with $200,000 in student loans. That's a, maybe a more relatable uh, metaphor. And just 30 days after you graduate, the bank comes and says, you know what? It's gone. Keep your $1,000 a month. Invest it for your retirement. I mean, that's life-changing, right? But that, doesn't, that pales 
in comparison to what we're talking about. There's this infinite spiritual debt that God says, it's gone. Nothing owed. You're free. There's a release from debt. So what was a prison of debt under sin is now gone. So how does, how does he do this? How can he just say, oh, no big deal. You don't owe me my glory. You don't owe me praise. You don't owe me your allegiance anymore. This, you know, owe it back to me to make it up. How can he do that? Well, the Bible tells us the answer is that Jesus Christ himself is our ransom. It's not that the account goes unpaid. It's that the account is paid by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus tells us this in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to do what? To give his life as a ransom for many. Right? Paul also tells, when he's leaving the church at Ephesus, he tells the, the church there, the elders of the church, to pay a careful attention to yourself, excuse me, <clears throat> to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained or purchased with his own blood. There's this idea of being purchased out of slavery. He pays off the loan and then acquires possession of it. Paul says, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Bought with a price. What was that price? The Son of God. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. That's a fascinating, in your body. It's a fascinating statement that we don't have time to talk about. Finally, Peter reminds us, the uh, final thing I want to mention is in 1 Peter chapter 1, he's talking about how we were enslaved to sin, just like we read in Titus. And then he says, remembering that you were ransomed from the futile ways that you inherited from your, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver as gold. There's no money. There's no perishable money. Like, what is money? Right? It's, a, it's an agreed-upon bartering system kind of thing. Right? There's like a lot of philosophy behind this, but it's perishable. Even like physical printed money or precious jewels, like it's all perishable. No, you were purchased with the precious, imperishable blood of Christ like that of a lamb without any spot or blemish. This is forgiveness proper. Your, your debt, your loan, for instance, was bought out by Jesus and cleared. You're free. You're free of the debt. And that's good news, right? Isn't that good news? But that's not all the good news. It gets better. There's more. I love it. This is forgiveness proper, what we just talked about. Beautiful, the beautiful thing about forgiveness is it actually is only one part of the entire salvation process. And oftentimes, depending on, um, we all emphasize different parts of the faith, and we all, we all uh, gravitate towards different things, and so I'm not actually dogging this, but it may be that in your experience, forgiveness was like the whole message. That's all we ever talked about. Maybe that's all we ever focused on. Um, that's not the whole gospel. That's not the whole good news of Jesus Christ. So I was listening to one comedian. He was talking about how he grew up poor, talking about how he grew up poor, and, and in the winters, his house was always cold because they had to keep the thermostat down because it got expensive. I know this because when I was in Ohio in college in a house with horsehair plaster walls, um, we paid $350 a month to keep the house at 55 degrees. Texans are like, I would have had my my leather riding boots and my scarf and my PSL, like, um, no, we're just like, this was not comfortable. I remember my wife was in her room. Her dad had to come in and install. I mean, there was literally a breeze of 32-degree air coming through her window at her bed in her room on campus. It was crazy. 
Um, we were roughing it those days, weren't we, babe? Um, so he's talking about how he grew up poor and it was cold, right? Um, and he told his dad, I'm cold. And his dad said, put on more clothes. And he said, dad, I already got on all three pair of clothes I got. And he said, well, just don't think about it. And then he said, man, I hate being poor. And his dad heard him and he didn't, he didn't yell, he didn't, but he got upset. He put the newspaper down and he said, you are not poor. Poor is a mentality, a mentality that very few people ever recover from. You are broke. <laughs> he said, well, Dad, whatever you want to call it is wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. It's a funny little bit. Um, but here's, here's the point. You can change the terminology, right? Like, you might, you might say, and, and shoot, you might even say, uh, 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 we, we, we turn it up a couple degrees or whatever. You can change the terminology and change your mentality. You can do whatever you want. But like, if the fundamental condition doesn't change, nothing changes, right? Like you could try to look at it from a better perspective. You might try to, okay, I'm free of debt, but I'm still a spendthrift. I'm free of debt before God, but I'm still a sinner. Uh-oh. You walk out of the bank where God says you don't have any debt anymore. What happens? You're back into debt. And one time, you, this is what we believe about sin against an infinite God. One sin incurs an infinite unpayable debt. So what do you do? Well, God hasn't just forgiven our sin and left us in the same predicament. We don't merely need forgiveness. We need a new reality. We need new creation. This is actually why the New Testament uses the term of ransom. Because a ransom is actually a purchase out of something to then be owned. You were slaves to sin, now you're a slave to Christ, which is true freedom in paradox. True freedom. You're owned by the one who made you, knows what's good for you, and loves you. So this ownership by the great master, look, you don't own yourself. We're not our own masters. We're not. We're mastered by something else. Humans are all mastered by something. So it's either sin, the world, the devil, or Almighty God. One is better than the other. So he purchases out, and we are now in his care. We go from being owned by sin, being mastered by sin, to being owned by God and then joined to Christ. And we go from being debtors to God to being uh, our names being written on the will of inheritance. See, we go to being joined with the Son and then joint heirs in the kingdom. You go from being a, a beggar who owes $1.8 million to being someone whose bank account is endless, who lives in the house with the king. It's new creation. This is, and I love this, I love this. It's death in Adam and it's life in Christ. It's death to the old and life in the new. So there's this transfer, there's this new creation. We're brought out of the old and then transferred into the new and given new hope. Um, Queen Catherine Parr, who I think was the last wife of Henry VIII, was also a um, uh, spiritual athlete. She was an incredible uh, spiritual writer. She has her, her works. You can buy her works. They've been published. And I love this quote from her uh, about the feeling, the effect that this kind of forgiveness and restoration had on her heart. Look what she says. She's quoting Jesus when she says, Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened, and I shall refresh you. She says this, what gentle, merciful, and comfortable words are these to all sinners? 
What a most gracious, comfortable, and gentle saying was this, and with such pleasant and sweet words to allure his enemies to come to him. To allure his enemies to come to him to become sons. When I behold the beneficence, when's the last time you used that word? Liberality means generosity, mercy and goodness of the Lord. I am encouraged, I'm emboldened, and I'm stirred to ask for such a noble gift as living faith. By this faith, I am assured, and by this assurance, I feel the remission, the canceling of my sins, this debt. This is it that makes me bold. This is it that comforts me, comforteth me. This is it that quencheth all despair. I'm no longer in despair under a debt I can't pay. Thus, I feel myself to come, as it were, in a new garment. Robes of white. That's why we wear these. I'm not wearing my clothes. I'm wearing the robes of Christ. In a new garment before God, and now by his mercy to be taken as just and as righteous. This is the gospel. This means then that looking at the whole picture, that when we come humbly before God, he releases us from our debt of sin and then transfers us over from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his, his beloved son and we're made joint heirs with Christ. Adopted as the children, that's another metaphor image, adopted as the children of God, we're filled with his Holy Spirit so that the ones who wants, um, whom he once demanded payment from for an infinite debt, he is now written in the, in the name section of his will. It's an infinite outpouring of grace that's erupting from the life of the, of life of the triune God into our spiritual bank accounts. And now that we are heirs of the kingdom, we have a context because of all of this, we now have a context where forgiveness of others makes sense and is possible. It's important for us to remember where this line falls in the prayer. We just asked that God's kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as in heaven. So for us to participate in that, we need our daily provision, which we ask for, and then the very first practical request is that we would be forgiven and that others would be forgiven. So we are brought in that, that adoption, that transfer out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. That means that we are now in the kingdom of God in part, which will one day come in full, and we now have the ability to image and to show out and to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is real and that it's here and that it looks like this. In a world where records are kept and grudges are held and bitterness is harbored, how is the kingdom of God in our midst different? So I opened by talking about Botham Jean. I want to show you a video of his brother, Brant Jean, speaking to Botham's killer in court. Let's see how he responds. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just... I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, 
all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. So <clears throat> it's such a complicated situation. Um, I could never speak for Brant, of course, but I think that this moment of radical, in this moment of radical kingdom grace, Brant Jean is showing the forgiveness that can only come out of an overflow of a heart that recognizes he has all he needs in Christ. Not only has he himself personally been re released from an insurmountable debt he could never repay, but he recognizes that at the resurrection of the dead, God will give back what Amber Geiger could never give back, his brother. God has already provided for the ultimate repayment. And because of this bounty in the kingdom of God, Brant Jean, is able to offer release from a debt unpayable. And I would venture to say that Amber Geiger will be forever changed because of that encounter. Um, in front of the entire world, Brandt demonstrated that there is new creation. He demonstrated that the kingdom of God looks like this. So in a world where records are kept, where debts are collected, vengeance is demanded, the kingdom of God is a world where debts are forgiven 
and people are released from the bonds of their wrongdoing. The common good in criminal justice is necessary in this world, and we want to acknowledge that. But in the midst of this world where this stuff happens, the kingdom of God has actually broken in, in us. And we who have been transferred into that kingdom of peace, of reconciliation, of forgiveness, we now get to show the world through the practice of forgiveness that there is indeed new creation. And it's on its way. And it involves release from debt and forgiveness of sin. So when we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, we are acknowledging then the overflowing abundance of blessing of the Father in two ways. First, that he is infinitely more merciful and gracious than, than we are sinful. And second, that he has provided for and given us more than we could ever get from anyone else back who has sinned against us. There's no reason to hold on to that debt and to demand repayment because God has provided it. What is it? Belonging? Honor? Inheritance? The truth? Life? A loved one back from the dead? God has given it all, ultimately, beyond this world. And if we believe that, then we can say, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything anymore. That's the only way it makes sense. And when we do that, the world has to say, that doesn't make sense. And you say, yeah, because it's the kingdom. Jesus invites you and me to ask for forgiveness and then to receive the release from bondage to a debt that we could never pay. He then commands us to also be agents of freedom and reconciliation as we forgive the trespasses and debts of one another. You and I have the opportunity, again, to show the world and to one another that it, there is new creation and the kingdom of God looks like forgiveness and freedom to the glory of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.